You know, there's a lot of people suffering right now everywhere, not just first responders, but the general public. When it comes to treatment options, there are many options out there, as you probably know. But it is vital that you vet and research the program that you or somebody you love wants to get into. After all, treatment is only as good as the people that work in that treatment facility. And again, there's a lot of options out there, but FHE Health is a nationally recognized behavioral health treatment provider that ensures quality, innovation, and comprehensive treatment for patients, not just for first responders. There are many options for the general population. Remember, your mental health and your challenges or addiction challenges are worth the best. And FHE Health is the best. One of those individuals that work at FHE Health is an amazing colleague and friend. My friend and colleague, Dr. Bo Nelson, stopped by the show. As the chief clinical officer at FHE Health, he is a passionate advocate for quality mental health and substance abuse treatment. Dr. Nelson has worked in the behavioral health field for more than 22 years, and he has served as a clinical director, clinician, and supervisor for mental health programs in acute, subacute, and outpatient facilities and in primary care. Dr. Nelson has devoted his life to improving the professional practice as a professor, professional development instructor, consultant, clinical supervisor, and internship supervisor working with many universities and colleges. He is also a widely recognized speaker, writer, and community advocate for mental health and substance abuse innovation and healthcare. Now, in this podcast, Dr. Nelson and I go deep. We talk about mental health challenges, how to overcome those challenges, and more importantly, the brain and how it works when we are dealing with addiction and mental health challenges. You do not want to miss this episode. Dr. Bo Nelson, next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Patrick here. Thank you for tuning in. You're going to love this next episode. But first of all, I want to give a big shout out to you, the criminal justice professional in these very, very difficult times. You go out there every day. You put everything on the line for your community, for your families. Thank you so much for what you do. Remember, you are honored, cherished, And above all, you are loved. Never forget that. Please don't. It is the truth. And the vast majority of people out there support you. Remember that too. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. You know, as a law enforcement officer, we are constantly being presented with various forms of identification. And you're expected to positively ID the people you encounter. 
But today's counterfeit IDs are practically impossible to differentiate from real ones. Without the certainty of knowing their true identity, your confidence wanes as you contemplate the consequences of an incorrect assessment. You deserve the proper tools to ensure your safety and your community depends on you to protect them. Backup has arrived. SureScan puts the power to identify fake IDs with 99.9% accuracy right in the palm of your hands. It was created by an active law enforcement officer who understands the importance of checking IDs in a way that's simple, fast, and unquestionably accurate. Visit surescan.us forward slash cjevolution to schedule your demo and see how well SureScan Age ID can help you stay safe while you're protecting your community. Visit surescan.us forward slash cjevolution. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm very excited to have my next guest on the show. I have the honor of working with this individual at FHE. He's Dr. Bo Nelson. He's the chief clinical officer at FHE Health, and he is a tremendous asset to the company, and he's helping patients get better one patient at a time. Right, doctor? That's right. That's uh, been doing this for 22 years, working 20. with substance use and mental health. And uh, it's, a, it's a passion of mine, and it's a privilege to be able to step in and help people uh, to feel better and to live their best lives. It's amazing. I mean, I, I never thought, uh, as you know, I was a patient there, doctor at uh, Shatterproof, and I never thought that, that I was going to be working for this amazing organization because, uh, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about what I do, and that's helping our brave men and women who serve, as well as anybody else. Um, now, what drove you? What was the catalyst that got you into the business besides schooling and things like that? Was there something when you were young that you wanted to do this or what was the catalyst? No, I, it's an interesting road. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I'm uh, spirituality is an important part of my yeah. life. And um, I actually had gone into ministry and was in seminary, mm -hmm. enjoyed pastoral counseling. And I decided that my calling wasn't in the church. And through a series of steps, I found myself in working as a clinical social worker mm -hmm. and uh, started off in uh, private psychiatric hospitals. And uh, it's just been a wonderful journey ever since then. And uh, 20 years of training and 22 years in practice and uh, uh, just been a wonderful opportunity. And uh, really, I just uh, have really enjoyed helping folks and, and being able to learn and grow. And, you know, as uh, any, I think, um, a decent clinician will tell you, they learn more from their patients sometimes than the patients <laughs> learn from us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it is, it's, uh, it's very interesting and that's a great point. Now, the treatment that, that FHE, and I don't want to make it totally about shatterproof and FHE, but what differentiates FHE Health from, from other treatment facilities? There's plenty of options out there, doctor. You know that. There's right. plenty of treatment facilities. But one of the things that really impressed me with the program was the different treatment of the, you know, options that, mm -hmm. that a patient has. Can you, can you talk about that for a few minutes? Right. Well, you know, a treatment is a multifaceted uh, experience. Mm -hmm. And so you're really... Uh, trying to look at the whole person. Mm -hmm. And so at FHE, because we're a larger organization, 
but we then create individualized treatment experiences. So one is the Shatterproof program, but we also have a completely dedicated mental health program. And then we have uh, dedicated programs for men and women and substance use programs. And so it's really like four or five tiny little treatment centers within one big one. Mm -hmm. And so this is all based really on a model. I'm a, actually a doctor of behavioral health. And so mm -hmm. I was trained to work in primary care medicine um, with psychological and behavioral interventions for long-term disease management and a variety of different health conditions. And so we really use this integrated behavioral health model, which is not siloing and treating, you know, this is your medical. So that's completely separate. And here's your family issues and that's completely separate. And here's the medication and that's separate. What we do is we bring it all together. And so what you'll find at FHE is that we're able to really bring in a lot of different disciplines, mm -hmm. partly that engages people in treatment and partly it actually gives everyone an understanding of what healthy living is about. Mm -hmm. So when they come in, they meet with a, a physical medicine provider. So uh, then that will actually take care of their physical health. Because for a lot of folks, when they're in the midst of addiction or mental health issues, their bodies are impacted by that. Yeah, so you got to treat the, the medical so that we have providers seven days a week and we're able to treat their uh, medical conditions, some, you know, brittle diabetics, uh, some end stage liver disease, whereas a lot of facilities might just have, you know, a doctor is able to come in on Tuesdays and do an evaluation. Yeah. Everybody goes out to a uh, hospital, but we're actually able to maintain that, get them stabilized physically as well as psychiatrically by a psychiatrist, also clinically also emotionally, you know, their diet, their, you know, all these different components. And so that's really an important part of uh, treating the whole person. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing that, I mean, I had so many takeaways and, and when I talk to people, uh, you know, about seeking help and taking that first step forward, I, I like to talk about neurostimulation. And I, I think if you could take, take right. a few moments and talk sure. about neurofeedback, neurostimulation, because I yeah. saw you a couple of weeks ago and I was like, and, and you dumped it down for people like me, you know, <laughs> yeah. know trying to make it practical, uh, yeah, make it practical, <laughs> but uh, you're yeah. much more, you know, educated and smarter than I am when, sure. it, when uh, it comes to this stuff. Can you just talk about that? Cause that, that was just amazing doctor. And I got to tell you when I, and I think we talked about this before, when I got there, they started talking about neurostimulation and I was like, what, you know, mm -hmm. one flow of the cuckoo's nest, you know, Jack Nicholson, you know, right. shock therapy, right. but it's not that. And I think some people get confused with that because it's not that. No, I, I actually used to uh, work in the Department of Psychiatry at a medical center, a university medical center, and we did 2000 cases of electroconvulsive therapy each oh, year. Yeah. And it gets a bad rap, uh, but this is nothing like that. And so a lot of people do get confused. There's lots of different kind of treatments that are out there now. And a lot of people, um, you know, really don't know how to make sense of it, or is this going to be helpful for me? Or yeah. is this useful? So, you know, just to give a little background in 2016, the Society for Addiction Medicine actually determined that substance use is a brain disorder. Now that's significant because yeah. for many years we thought it was a character issue. It's a spiritual issue. This is a, you know, you're a weak person, mm -hmm. all of these different things, really ba basically blaming the person who is simply struggling to live within their own body. Just get rid of it. Don't think about it. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, but again, it was just like a, it's a moral failing. Sure. And so um, unfortunately, you know, science has a, it doesn't catch up uh, to the point. So now we're, you know, understanding the brain and understanding how the body works with the brain and all this stuff has been really significant. And so we at FHE, once that was determined, said, you know, well, you know, how can we best help people in what is really a pretty short window of time mm -hmm. in treatment? You know, people drink or use for, you know, 20 years sure. and then they come into treatment and they're there for 45, 60 days. And so, it's, you know, obviously you can't treat everything, but you want to give people the best chance and neurotherapy, which has been around for 30 years, it's FDA approved, it's non-invasive, does not require drugs. And the great thing about it is the patient can have absolutely no interest in being sober and they'll still get benefit from the treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, but we use a variety of different things. And so a big thing in behavioral health care, which is substance use and mental health is the idea of what we call evidence-based treatment. And so a lot of treatment in psychology is kind of like, oh, you know, it's very subjective. You go to 10 psychiatrists, you get 10 different yeah. opinions or yeah, or diagnoses. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so it can take many years, even decades for people to find effective treatment. And so the idea for us is saying, well, you know, we've, we have a, a strong clinical program with masters and PhD level clinicians. We've got a strong group program. We've got all the different bells and whistles that go with that. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we just see a very unfortunate uh, relapse rate that happens mm -hmm. with folks in substance use, let's say. And so, but the interesting thing is that the relapse rate for substance abuse is act exactly the same as diabetes. Yeah. About yeah. 40 to 60%. So the fact is substance use is far more complicated because it does hijack the brain. But the fact is that human beings in general, I mean, how many times have you said, I'm, I'm going to start exercising and working out. <laughs> and then by, you know, that's January 1st. And then by March 3rd, yeah. you've already fallen off the wagon. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So human beings aren't necessarily really good with that consistency. And so we want to, actually work at the level where we're going to see the most effective change for a person. Yeah. And neurotherapy provides that. You know, it's amazing. I, I, when I, when I, cause they map the brain, they do a before and after, as you know, mm -hmm. doctor. And I remember, you know, I didn't really start feeling uh, any difference until about my fourth or fifth session. And right. then for me, I know everybody's different for, but, for me, it was like a light switch coupled with the other therapy I was doing, you know, the breath work, the yoga, the, all those different, uh, you know, holistic kind of things that we do down there. Great things. But then I, I was hooked on neurostimulation. And when I was done, I think I did about 18 sessions. I think the average is about 15, right? 15 shows the full efficacy for the treatment. Right? Yeah. And you, and if you relapse, like you were talking about, you can lose that gain that you gain through neurostimulation, correct? Yes. Yeah. Anytime you have a, a disturbance to the, the ecosystem of the body, uh, you're going to have an effect. And so yeah. if you have a concussive injury, if you have toxic uh, substances in your system, if you have some kind of new traumatic event, uh, the brain has to respond and adjust to that. And so unfortunately, you can't just, it's not like one in done. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, I worked out for six months. So my body's always going to be perfect. <laughs> no, it's not, <laughs> you know, where, where do you see the future going 
with, with this type of, of therapy? And maybe that's too much of a broad question, but I ask you anyway, I mean, do you think we're going to, cause we only know, we've, we still know very little about the brain and it all starts right. with the brain, right? I mean, where do you think right. the future is going with this? Well, there, there's a lot of interconnectedness to it. And so the fact is that, you know, uh, speaking of like electroconvulsive therapy, electroconvulsive therapy, we don't know why it works, but it's the most effective treatment for depression, treatment yeah. resistant depression. And again, we are unraveling the body and the mind. You know, we now know that a big part of how the mind works is goes through your gut. Yeah. And so a lot of studies are really showing us that, you know, enzymes in the gut and, and vitamins and second brain, second brain. Right. And so, you know, again, the idea with it is that you really have to have a, a very high level, um, understanding of what the brain is and how you treat that. And so again, you know, we're, we're trying to give people the best chance at success. And so again, this isn't just for someone with a substance use disorder or a mental health disorder, uh, sports stars are using this executives yeah. are doing it for peak performance, uh, really to get their brain at kind of its optimum functioning. And a lot of us don't realize that, you know, even if you're not diagnosed with a mental health condition, the fact of the matter is that the effects of chronic stress or other kinds of chronic situations, you know, where you're just, you know, really kind of just slowly, you know, death by a thousand cuts, slowly your body and your mind just isn't working at its peak. And so the idea, what, what we're able to do is to create and, and, and to really give people an opportunity both to understand how their brain works and to show them a research-based, evidence-based, science-based treatment so we begin the process with a quantitative electroencephalogram, and that basically just tells you how the electrical impulses in the brain are functioning. Mm -hmm. And so there are different kinds of wavelengths, and all of those really correspond with different symptoms that people have. So a person can come in and get a, a QEEG, and you can look at it with ever, without ever talking to the patient, and you can tell them what their symptoms are. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember my... Yeah. Mother suffered from depression for, for years. And it's amazing yes. how far we, we've come in, in treatment with depression yes. and, and other things. And I, and I remember I was, um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, different treatment options. And I remember being a police officer for many years, you know, on the topic of ketamine. Now ketamine is, is being used in some instances to, to treat depression, correct? Yes, it is. It is. It, it's uh, shown great efficacy. And even now, you know, a lot of folks you might be seeing on, you know, in the news, uh, looking at uh, psychedelics that yeah. are being used to, uh, at this point, investigationally to treat uh, trauma and responses. And so again, the, we're really, the, the understanding of the brain is really growing, but what we're using is really a science-backed method which is faster than like a lot of people might use TMS, but that requires a lot more sessions and it's more of a broad stroke. Whereas we use pulse electromagnetics, which are very focused. And so we can be able to see where the brain is dysregulated from the QEEG and then be able to target specific areas with, uh, with uh, research proven uh, neuro techniques. Yeah. One is traditional neurotherapy and using the magnetics to be able to re-regulate the brain. And then the neurostimulation, which is a different treatment. And then that's really used. It actually hydrates the brain with blood. And in doing that, 
it actually gives the basic building blocks for new nerve endings in the brain so the brain can communicate better. And then also at the same time, it mimics uh, a lot of folks in the trauma world know about EMDR, uh, which is a very effective treatment working with folks with trauma, but we're actually able to do it at the brain level. So we don't use the eye movement or the clickers that people might be familiar with. We can actually do it and the patient goes into a natural state of what's called neuroplasticity. And so it basically takes down the walls. You're able to talk and, and, and really um, be open to uh, a, an opportunity to talk about what's going on. And the most important part of that is that you're in a complete learning mode. So I always contrast it. I always tell people, you know, it's kind of like if you have a file cabinet. And so, you know, pull out the file cabinet and all the files fall on the floor. So that's basically what most people do every day. They're searching on the floor for files and you'll have, you know, just little symptoms. Have you ever walked into a room and forgotten why you walked in there? Absolutely. Do you ever, do you ever have a time when your memory's <laughs> off or, yeah. you know, you, you go in the kitchen and you go, you know, again, I'm, I'm, what, I'm, not, I'm not even sure what I'm hungry for, yeah. or, you know, <laughs> where's my keys, you know, all those yeah, little yeah. things. And, and again, they're not necessarily life, you know, impairing, but again, it's just your mind is not at its best. Yeah. And so when you go through this process and, and you're, especially with the neurostimulation, what it does is it basically takes all the files, puts them in the file cabinet, orders them and closes the drawer. So your brain is now more efficient and it's able to actually track and to do things. And so you're at your best or optimal functioning. Yeah. Amazing. And I, you know, I, I tell people, doctor, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is, is that, you know, Shatterproof and FHE, because I know there's other programs within FHE, yes. but my program, the one I went through Shatterproof, it gave me the foundation uh, to move forward. I, I tell people that it's up to the patient once they get released or discharged to continue with the tools and continue with the therapy and some people don't, then they relapse, like you said, Uh, because I think some people, you correct me if I'm wrong again, they think they go to treatment and it's a one and done and they're cured. No, it's a continual process, right? Right. Of course. Yes. Um, You know, any, any process of of ongoing benefit to Mm -hmm. you, kind of like lifelong learning, you know, oh, I graduated college, so I'm never learning anything again. (laughs) Well, you probably aren't going to be the best in your career or the best in your marriage or your best with parent. If that's, you know, you just think you've got everything. Yeah. And so obviously the process of recovery, whether it's mental health or substance use is a process. And what we do is that we're just kind of resetting for folks and giving them an opportunity, which for first responders is particularly tough because when you're the person who's taking care of everybody else, you're the helper. It feels really strange to be receiving help. Yeah. Exactly. You Speaking know. of that, you work a lot with, with first responders. You're all over the place yes. helping the, uh, you know, our brave personnel that, that serve and protect. I mean, what are the, I mean, there's so many things that first responders are, are trying to grapple with now. What are some of the more reoccurring themes? And maybe that's too broad, but again, what, what are some of the reoccurring things that they're suffering with now? Cause I, I can't imagine doctor. I mean, I retired in 2019 and it was, it was tough then it's, I think it's just compounded now with, with all that is happening uh, in, in the world now, but I do think first responders still have a lot of support, but what are they, what are they grappling with? What are you hearing? 
Well, uh, you know, I, I do hear a lot of people sharing, you know, they, they, they go into this work to try to make a difference, mm -hmm. to try to help their communities and to be disliked or not trusted or disrespected or to feel like you're the enemy of the people um, has really taken a big toll on a lot of first responders. I mean, and again, it's not just, you know, those that carry a gun. I mean, look at, you know, people are, you know, beating up nurses. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, all yeah, the frontline right. personnel, nurses, yeah. doctors, every, the whole gambit. Yeah, it's kind of this chaos that's yeah. going on. And again, for people, for first responders tend to be somewhat ordered, you know, follow the rules, put, you know, chain of command, all of these things in a world that is just kind of basically falling apart. So that's a that's an issue. One, another one is that so much of police work has turned into really kind of like a quasi mental health counseling sure. because so many folks that police are called out to deal with situations are really suffering from something that they've not been able to be trained for. Mm -hmm. And so we ask, you know, why is there excessive violence or why are, you know, people, they're not able to talk to this person or whatever. Just a lot of folks don't get that kind of training in police work, let's say, or even in fire work that so you're you're kind of coming up against something that you don't really know. And then people are beating you up because you're not doing it right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I tell people getting into law enforcement first, first of all, thank you for all the listeners out there that are serving and protecting. Right. Um, but I, I never thought that we would be going to and responding to, and that's part of our job. I mean, we, when I first started, Dr. I mean, we had just, you know, a handful of people in mental crisis calls. Now it's every day. I talk to officers right. from all over the place. They're responding to this. And I guess my point is there's only so much that you can see as a first responder trauma and suffering before it starts, it starts manifesting internally with, with other things, right? Of course. Yes. I mean, again, we all have a breaking point. Yeah. yeah. And again, a big part of that is self-care and, and making yourself, you know, stress hardy and being able to process and kind of get past something. But again, in our first responder cultures, the, you know, some departments don't really have resources. Again, the uh, officers, firefighters, whoever are not really trained in what this looks like. And again, usually we take that external trauma and stress, and then we turn it inwards. And that's where you find people just try to figure a way to get through the day. And so, you know, you see all the memes on, you know, the internet, you know, about, you know, the wine moms, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm stressed out, you know, and they've got the giant glass of wine, you know, and this is my favorite time of the day. Probably not a but good just to think about someone dealing with death, dismemberment, yeah. you know, traumatic experiences, angry people, you know, violent situations. And again, it's like a glass of wine doesn't take care of that. One of the things that is, is very difficult being a first responder, and you probably hear and see it all the time, doctor, is, you know, the, the inability to come forward. And, I, and for me, it was ego and, or hubris, whatever you want to call sure. it, uh, you know, fear, obviously. Uh, why is it so hard, in your opinion, for, for first responders to, to come forward when we have more help than ever now uh, mm -hmm. out there? I mean, I think it's probably maybe a trust issue or what? Well, I, I mean, obviously it's individualized to the yeah. person, but, uh, you know, again, you've got to think about the ideas when you're, you're taught to be the savior, yeah. um, you, you lose that when you admit your weakness. 
And so it's just, it's very tough and, and it doesn't feel safe for a lot of folks. Uh, you know, a lot of first responders really pride themselves on being, you know, emotionally secure and handle a situation and good in a crisis and all that. And if you start, you know, telling everybody, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I cry myself to sleep every night yeah. or whatever, everyone's going to go and it's going to diminish that sense of self related to what you want to do. And so when your real self and your ideal self don't match, you've got to put something in between there. And unfortunately it's bad behaviors or drugs and alcohol. A lot of times. The one thing that I learned in treatment that FHE and Shatterproof taught me was, is that um, I had to be very selfish with my self-care, not, not, not narcissism or, or anything like that, but I have to take, and I know we hear it all the time. You got to take care of yourself first, but it really came to fruition when I was in treatment where I, again, not discounting family and friends and loved ones, but I had to be selfish with my self-care. And I think that's the problem. A lot of people aren't. It's definitely the first responder community. You know, right. they, they put everybody else first instead of putting them first. Mm -hmm. But we, we have this one shot, you know that, I mean, right. at life. And, you know, it, and the reality is I don't think we're here for very long. So you have right. to you have to take care of yourself. Right. Well, it is. And, and again, this is it. This is a much larger issue than yeah. uh, the, the whole uh, just first responders. The oh, idea yeah, no, the it, population as a whole. Right. Yeah. We're just seeing this all the time. And, and the uh, the kind of the psychological part of this that some people don't often see is that it's far easier to solve other people's problems <laughs> than it is to solve your own. Because you're focused on inward. If you if you you know, I'd rather give you advice, Dr. Nelson, than to focus oh, right. on myself. And right. it's amazing to me, people like that in my world or used to be in my world, their lives are a mess, but they're giving me, they're giving right. me advice. <laughs> I always, that's, that's one of the, one of my uh, uh, favorite catchphrases with my patients is I say two things. I say, do the opposite of what you normally do. And you're such a great advice giver, take your own advice and follow that. <laughs> I love it. Right. Yeah. So, so what advice would you, would you give somebody out there? Um, that is, you know, having that trepidation, you know, having that, that fear, uh, you know, of, of, of taking that step forward. I think the, I saw stat, you know, the stats, well, uh, you know, 40%, uh, talking about first responders, 40% of first responders are out there suffering mental, you know, for mental health issues or addiction or both. And I, and I think that that's just probably not the accurate number. It's kind of like the dark figure right. of crime underreported. You know? It's underreported. I think that number's that number is much right. higher. So what, what advice would you, would you give somebody out there listening that is really struggling? First of all, if you're struggling, reach out right now and, you know, I right. mean, call emergency services, but somebody who's teetering on whether or not to go to treatment or not. Right. Well, I, I think a, a big part of it is to, is to stop for a moment and really assess what's going on. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is, is that if your life isn't working, then you're going to know that. But if you stay real busy, you might not notice it. It's, it's kind of like gradually, then suddenly it's like, you know, I, you know, it's so funny how people like, you know, oh, you know, I, I put on 25 pounds, I step on the, the scale. Well, yeah, but you had to put on one pound before you put on 25, <laughs> but you just didn't notice it. Yeah. And so part of it is, is really being kind of aware and just saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really happy. I'm not doing what I, really believe is part of my values. I'm not really there for the people I need uh, who need me or the people that I want to help. And so you just have to really kind of have a moment of, of reflection. But the, the idea with it, and I always tell people this, I said, you know, I may be full of crap and what I tell you isn't going to work. I said, you can always go back to what you are doing. 
which is, is probably go, not working. <laughs> right. But, but again, yeah, it's like, so, but people are scared because unfortunately the, the way our, the mind works is that what we do is we have a problem and we find something. And if that something works, then we just do more of it. Yeah. Even if at some point it stops working, we're more comfortable holding on to something than we are to let it go. And it's creatures of habit, right? I mean, right. changes, it's, changes come as uncomfortable. It's, it's foreign. We don't like doing that. Right. Uh, and and, and I'm going to let something go. you got to, you know, especially when you talk about substance use or let's, you know, that's one thing is that the substance becomes your whole life. Everything revolves around it. And so for someone to then say, you know, Hey, take that away. It is, it's so scary, not to mention the physical and, and mental effects of what that has done to you, but it's just by nature. It's kind of like, you know, if I told you, you know, here, here's, here's the love of your life and they're wonderful, well, they're going to be gone tomorrow. Well, uh, of course you're going to fall apart. Yeah. But that's really what happens in substance use is that it's like, uh, this worked, I'm just going to keep doing it, but it doesn't work now. That doesn't matter. I don't know. I'm just going to keep doing this. And so yeah. The idea with it is that, you know, you came up with this and you did the best you could. We honor you, you know, hey, this happens. Again, we take away the stigma that you're not the only person this is going on. But at the same time, there are other things that you can do. You, there is a chance for you. Yeah. And again, hearing somebody's story, just like the, the great things you're doing on the podcast here, by talking about it and being out there, you go, all these people are telling me how great it is not to keep doing what I'm doing. Can they all be wrong? Yeah. You know, do I really want to hang out at a bar or be, you know, calling out for my shift because I'm didn't sleep at all last night because I was too high? Is that really how I want to lead my life? And the idea is, and again, it doesn't have to be a psychiatrist, it doesn't have to be a therapist, talk to somebody. Yeah. Talk to and somebody I, who really cares about you. A trusted and, somebody. Right. And yeah. and just it just say what's going on. You know, one of our biggest problems in our first responder community is our rate of suicide. Yeah. And and I work with so many different departments and I talk with so many people, their family and other officers after an event has happened. And everybody is like, we were all there for him or her or we were you know, we wanted to help. And we had all these things that we reached out and they just kept turning us away. And so, again, you know, sometimes, you know, the interventions are obviously more severe, but we've got to remember in our culture is that a lot of times when these things are found out just like for the general population, you know, they get arrested and they go, Oh, I got a problem with my drinking. I my fourth DUI. Mm -hmm. The same thing for officers happens a lot or for firefighters is they get caught using through the job and then it becomes a discipline issue. Yeah. And so again, the idea is it's a, you're, you're going to get a lot, lot more bang for your buck. If you recognize a problem and you start to do something about it. So call it self-preservation or, you yeah. know, whatever, you know, minimize your losses is that, you know, generally this isn't the consequences change people's behavior. Yeah. And so if you can't take a moment to recognize the consequences, then you'll probably continue to believe that this is the only thing you can do, but just talk to somebody, yeah. somebody you can trust, somebody who you care about. The idea is that, you know, again, you know, things aren't working, but it's just sometimes scary. And you sometimes need to have that, you know, we have a lot, just like Patrick, what you're doing for us here, 
uh, at FHE, you know, this is really an important thing. We, we build relationships in departments. We build relationships in communities. We build relationships with leaders in uh, the different departments and cities around the country. And, and a part of what that is, is because they need to be able to trust us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you, the officers or the firefighters or the EMTs or the corrections officers, they they have to be able to trust someone. And yeah. it's generally not the EAP, unfortunately, you know, or it's not the discipline process. That, but there are resources out there. You can call a hotline. You can call FHE. You can call, uh, you know, whatever it is and, and ask for help. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's one of those things, if, if it doesn't get better, it doesn't get better. But I always think in life, you know, we're not, it's, it's not the successes or the failures in life that really we look back on and, and, and say, okay, that's what makes me. It's the biggest regrets are what we actually never tried. Uh, absolutely. There's a great book out there called the, excuse me, the uh, five regrets of dying oh. <clears throat> by uh, an author called Bronnie Ware. And she was a, it just made me think about that when you said that, the regrets, mm -hmm. and it's a great book. And she was a hospice nurse and she went and interviewed all these uh, mm -hmm. elderly patients who became close with them. And, and she talked about that. And you hit one of the, right. the bullet points is regretting not taking a step or taking a chance. I mean, there's more to the book than right. that. But the one thing I, I tell uh, first responders to uh, Dr. Nelson is, you are unique. You're a unique individual. There's not anybody else in the world like you, but your problems, in my opinion, are not unique. Oh, I have an alcohol problem. Okay. I have an addiction problem. Okay. I'm depressed. Am I, I have suicidal age. Okay. Millions of other people have had the same things. Yeah, it's different. It's, it's what you're going through, but they've gone through the same stuff and they've sought treatment and now they're better. Right? Right. So people have this idea. I know I did. Oh, nobody understand my problems. Right. Uh, my right. problems are, oh, they're just so extraordinary. No, they're not. And I'm not trying yeah. to minimize. I'm not trying to mitigate what people are going through. I'm just saying my point is, is that this is what FHE Health does. Been doing right. it for a long time. Experts like years. you. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. so that you are trained to, to and, and the whole point is to, like you said, take that step forward because, you know, the, the challenges are always going to come, but your challenges aren't unique. You know. And that's why we created the the shatterproof program is because the needs of first responders. So it's police, different, fire, yeah. uh, EMS, corrections, military folks. It is different. And but you know, again, the idea is it's you know, I always tell people, you know, they say, well, I I can't talk to anyone about my issues because you won't understand. I said, well, does your doctor really understand being a police officer? Yeah. You know, does your gynecologist understand being a police officer? You know, again, <laughs> does your pharmacist understand being a police officer? No, there's a lot of services you get that they don't have to completely understand right. you. But yeah. what we learned, and that's why we've really invested in this program, is to be able to give people a safe space to, as first responders to be able to talk about it. And, and I do, I have so many folks that come in and they'll sit there and go, well, no one's going to, I can't talk about this. No one's going to understand. And they come in and you'll, you may remember, and it's like, you know, oh, I witnessed this, this, you know, traumatic death when I was on duty. And uh, I know you all won't understand. And the six people raise their hand and go, same yeah. thing. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, You're not and special. Yeah, yeah. And the one thing, one thing that, you know, it's like when I got there, it's like, you know, it's not a contest to see who has the most right. dramatic. 
Well, I can top that. I saw, you know, a triple fatality. Uh, You know, it's it's not about that, because what you were what the individual is dealing with is is big enough for them to be suffering. You know, so right. it, it's not about upping one each, you know, each other with with traumatic stories. We, we don't want to. Yeah, do that, it is. But... And, and, you know, the idea is, you know, you're everyone's at a different space. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people are open to the idea of making their life better. Some people are too scared. Some people have some other <laughs> you know, limits. You know, our our mind has what we call psychological defense mechanisms that will often prevent us from doing the good that we know we can do. Uh, and it, we just have to be at the right place at the right time. We need to ask the right people. We need to try to find the help that we have. But when people complete our programs, it's not because, you know, it's like, well, this is, you know, you're you're cured. The idea with it is and it's not you're just jumping through hoops. You know, mm. yes, I signed this form. Oh, I filled this out. I did this. OK, now I'm going to go back to work and just life starts again. No, it's that we've done everything we can possibly do for you and using the evidence based treatments, using that whole person concept, really giving them the opportunity, giving them the resources to continue after when they leave, really helping folks to be in a different space. And and I'll tell you, it's, you know, it, again, it, it, it's it's really an opportunity. And, and I have seen so many people, Shatterproof Program and others who come in and I was like, boy, I, don't, I hope we can be able to help. And they turn into the biggest proponents. I mean, oh, yeah. I've got officers who, I mean, it was a struggle, but they left, they've sent three of their friends from their department to treatment just on their own personal recommendation. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's people like you there. I mean, it's the team. It's, it's Dr. Nelson. It's Dr. Uh, Dr. Sashi, all these people. I mean, that, that's, what's so amazing about the program. Yes. uh, It's the treatment, but it's the people that are generally want to help people, not just first responders, but the other programs, uh, at FHE right. Health, and I think that's what makes it a, a you know a game changer for. It's a huge part of it, you know. Being, uh, you know, obviously an ethically based organization, we're long term. We've been doing this a long time. We've built relationships based on the results that we have. We track the outcomes. We really provide the services, and we meet all the accreditation standards, all of those things. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's really about personal connections, and that's the you know again in the Shatterproof program, it's easier for a cop to connect to a cop than it would be Absolutely. to connect with a banker. So yeah. we understand that and we give them an opportunity to be able to, to make the benefit of that. And, and a specialized program doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, ooh, some kind of magic, you know, happens in this room, but it's not in the room <laughs> next door. No, you know, at, at the core, we're still just people, yeah. but we're at the same time, we're meeting where you are and what's going on for you. And so for first responders, that means talking their language, understanding their culture. We have a separate team of therapists and staff, as you know, that only work with first responders that we've created this. So it's not first responders aren't in a group with just a substance use or patient or a mental health. They're all completely separate. They have their community, they share rooms with, they're able to do that. And so is that necessary? Well, you know, psychologists probably debate whether it is, but does it make a difference in treatment? Hell yes, yes absolutely. And I can attest to that. <laughs> right. Um, I can attest to that. And like you said, yeah. the shatterproof personnel, men, women from all walks of life right. uh, are together. And I, I tell you what, Dr. Nelson, some of the some of the, some of the most interesting and best treatment was just sitting around the table sure. in the courtyard right there and just talking and just you know, free oh, flow yes. conversation. And no everybody's walls are down, you know, everybody's right. just opening up. 
Uh, and it's, uh, it was truly right. And that's, uh, a, that's part of the therapeutic experience. You know, yep. uh, some folks will come in and they say, well, you know, I need to be in group or individual or whatever, you know, every, you know, I'm all day long. Why aren't I doing something? And it's like, this is part of the problem of addiction and mental health issues is that mm-hmm. you're wanting to be so busy and, oh, I'm going to absorb all this stuff. You know, you can see a therapist, you know, t- eight hours a day for five days a week. You're not necessarily going to get better. Yeah than you would if you saw them once or twice. It's what you do between the sessions. It's not just the visit to your doctor. It's not just this. And and part of that is learning how to quiet your mind, learn how to be in a community and open up and develop healthier relationships and be able to deal with downtime, be able to understand and process what's going on in your life, not just jumping from fire to fire to fire. And and all of these different things are all in in a well-equipped treatment program. It's all used together. And and I will tell you, and you know, again, it's a, I feel like I'm the the wizard behind the curtain. Uh, <laughs> you are, the, yeah, I guess so, probably. I mean, the idea is that this is all constructed to be a, a immersive experience, and so it's not you're not just getting treatment when you're in group, or yeah. when you're meeting with your individual therapist, or when you're meeting with the doctor. You're getting treatment because that this is a, a complete therapeutic environment that helps to change people, and it does it in a way that sometimes they don't even recognize. Yeah. And the treatment is only as good as the patient is willing to put into it, right? Well, and you got to put in the work. You yeah. got to put in the work. It's it nothing's going to fall on your lap. All right. Well, the neuro is good because you don't really have to even want to get better. Oh, no. But you the just fact sit of there. the matter is it will change the way your brain is processing, uh, just like new experiences, yeah. just like, you know, somebody opening up about the trauma they never wanted to talk about. All of a sudden, I have never had an opportunity to really be with somebody who said, oh, you know, talking about my trauma has made it worse. Yeah. Exactly. That's worse good. for a little bit, but not, not permanently. Yeah. Uh, you know, do- you're yeah. amazing, Dr. Oh, Nelson. Thank you, Dr. Patrick. Bo Nelson, Chief Clinical Officer, FHE Health. I know I'm going to put show notes uh, on uh, the podcast, Dr. Nelson, but if people wanted to reach out to you socially, I mean, they know where to find you. I'll put uh, FHE, FHE Health information. If people want to reach out to you socially, is there a way they can contact you? No, I don't really do much. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm this right. is, this is about as technologically advanced. <laughs> I'm one of the few people who's not anywhere on anything. Uh, but I, the good thing is, is that we are FHE keeps track of me and I have some wonderful Whoa, people they keep who, track of you. What do you mean? They do. Yes. Chip exactly. in you not, or something, Dr. Nelson, not a conspiracy or? theory, but uh, <laughs> they actually, they're, they're so much better at all this. So we're on Twitter and Facebook yeah, and all that. And, they, and, and they share information uh, about all the things that I'm doing, the great people I'm working with around the country. And um, so, you know, please feel, feel, feel free to follow me on any of that. That's uh, usually the best way to keep track of me. Dr. Nelson, thank you so much, sir. It's a pleasure to have you on the show and I may get to see you. Great. Next week, hopefully. So well, thank you, Patrick. And thank you for all you do and for the podcast. And, and it, it, just to leave everybody, you know, remember that there's always hope. That's really what I do. That's my job is to give people hope that no matter how dark it seems right now, no matter what you've gone through or done in your life is that there is forgiveness, there's redemption, there is recovery. And so just never give up until you find what you need. Absolutely. Amen, my friend. Mm-hmm. Dr. Thank Nelson. You, Thank you, sir. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to cjevolution.com.
You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at Pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast.